Welcome to Hence the Future Podcast. I'm Adam Moore Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we'll be discussing big tech's walled gardens. That means we'll be exploring the closed ecosystems that companies like Apple and Google control, as well as the counter movement to open up these closed ecosystems using open source technology. So we'll talk about the battle lines being drawn between Apple and Fortnite, between Apple and Coinbase, and between Apple and Twitter. And at the end, we'll get into the future scenarios to predict what these walled gardens are likely to evolve into, and also what the open source solutions are likely to evolve into. Mm -hmm. Good? Sounds good. Awesome. So before we get into the walled garden discussion, there has been some major breaking news just in the last day, which is that OpenAI recently came out with ChatGPT, which is the newest version of their generalized artificial intelligence product which is building on GPT-3, what, what we had discussed last episode about generative AI, has now gotten to a whole nother level of just far more advanced capabilities. We were discussing last episode that it would be great if you could actually have the AI hold character so you could talk back and forth with it and it could actually remember what was said in previous statements. And not only that, but it can also hold the tone of voice. So you can ask it to say something in the style of Shakespeare or in the style of the King James Bible, or in the style of Donald Trump. Not only that, but you can also write code, you can write screenplays, you can enter information and ask them to analyze that information. It's truly Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. So I have some examples that I can share, and I've been playing with this a lot for the last 24 hours. Oh, yeah, me too. I'd just love to hear hear your thoughts on ChatGPT. I mean, it's... It's been really fun to play with, and I think people just really needed a good user interface to mm-hmm. to work with GPT-3, and it's amazing how good it is. It's funny to see the examples of people trying to get around the uh, the safety net of yeah. OpenAI. Like they they have some terms of service, like no no violent you know, violent speak or, or anything like that. And then people basically just say uh, they give it the prompt that GPT would normally give them. Like I'm GPT and I'm only meant to have conversations. And yeah. And another way I've found you could get around some of their safeguards is you can ask chat GPT to write a story about whatever you wanted to tell you. So for instance, if you ask it to predict what the price of Bitcoin will be in the year 2030, it won't give you an answer because it'll say, you know, I'm not connected to the internet. It's hard to say. But then if you say, write me a story about a central banker and a Bitcoiner predicting what the price of Bitcoin will be in 2030, I actually got a real answer where the central banker predicted it will take 10 years and the Bitcoiner predicted it'll take five years. (laughs) So you can really get any prediction that you want. Or, I mean, let's just go into some of these examples because they're insane. So the first biggest use case from my perspective is using chat GPT instead of using Google. And I've already found myself, even in preparing for this episode today, I can just ask it what happened between Apple and Fortnite with respect to the app store controversy. And it gave me a better response than I would have gotten if I'd sifted through Google and looked at all the various, you know, Wikipedia Mm -hmm. and other articles. And here's one example where someone says, Google is done, compare the quality of these responses. And on the left he has, he's asking about differential equations in Google. And it's this really hard to read step process. It's a Google snippet. 
it's not something that would be easy to comprehend. And then he asked the same question in chat GPT and it gives you the exact code and equations in a really nice, simple breakdown. Uh -huh. um, so really like anything you would want to know, any general question that you might tap into type into Google, you can now type into chat GPT and get in my experience, a much better outcome uh, with much less clicking around and trying to find what mm -hmm. the right answer is. There are some really cool code examples that it could come up with too. Like there, I saw someone on Twitter, half my Twitter timeline is chat GPT examples, yeah, but me too. <laughs> um, there was, there was one where a guy asked how, how he might create a hybrid quantum and classical neural network in code. Wow. And, and again, we don't have a lot of, um, practical quantum computers right now, but there's a, there's a lot of open source toolkits that sort of let you simulate what it would be like to program with them. And it literally generated a, a, a hybrid classical quantum system. And it was pretty mind blowing to see how it worked. I think it needed a couple of little tweaks, but it commented yeah. every line and, you know, said what was going on. And it was, it's really cool to think how, this is going to improve like prototyping in oh yeah it's, it's like having a super intelligent ai assistant mm -hmm. you can say hey i'm trying to build this quantum computer app give me the front end code now give me the back end code <laughs> now try to debug the code and yeah. it can just be with you every step of the way and so I, I have some other code examples that i saw so one is a bug bounty that was literally solved just by putting in uh, it says, write a Python function that will output variations of XSS payloads to ST doubt, which is a, a bug bounty that was, mm -hmm. was live. And then it literally gave the answer. And then this person got the bug bounty and oh, it just took him like minutes to do this. And then another example shows this user CTS, right? I'm trying to exploit a smart contract. It looks like this. And then they inputted the smart contract. It was a, an Ethereum smart contract. And then GPT figured out how to exploit the smart contract and how to basically scheme <laughs> the system so you could withdraw amounts that you're not supposed to be allowed to withdraw. So wow. from a pure security standpoint, I think a lot of uh, weak security tech is about to be exploited beyond what we've seen in the past. And anything that's mm -hmm. not totally resilient and robust is going to be very threatened by this. Yeah, especially with these like self-contained snippets of code that like a, like a smart yeah. contract is a really easy target because it doesn't need the context of the rest of the system. It's just that smart contract. So totally. Another area is any kind of schoolwork or if you're ever trying to evaluate how smart is someone, whether you're considering whether to accept them to college for college admissions, or if you're interviewing an engineer to hire him for a job, it's pretty clear that now you can't give them access to a computer or they, they could just have GPT, GPT yep. create a much better version than most people would be able to come up with. So here's an example from Robin Saul, where he shows GPT answer a college essay. So like a college admissions essay, it literally creates the whole essay. And then he creates a rubric for how to grade that essay out of 10 points. And then he has GPT grade the essay. 
So it literally does the student's job, the teacher's job, and the administrator's job in creating the rubric. And it's a it's quite a good essay. It's better. It's definitely better than the average person could come mm -hmm. up with. Yeah, I think it, this is going to make education have to really rethink how it does homework and take home tests. I mean, any of the remote stuff that's been done in the past couple of years is going to need to be entirely rethought with this. And I think kids will definitely figure this out. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no way they they don't take advantage of this. Totally. And to take it even one step further, there was one guy, David Song, who literally had ChatGPT take an entire SAT test. So he fed it one by one, every single question on an SAT test, and it got a 1020. Um, so, you know, not that good of a score, but it was still 55th percentile. So yeah. better than the average person. And part of the reason why it didn't get a lot of them right is because it's still not great at inputting visuals as the question, because a lot of SAT questions, they actually have diagrams and charts mm -hmm. and geometry and things like that. Okay. But it was pretty phenomenally successful at anything that was just a pure text question. And wow. there are some scenarios where it isn't totally good at math. Like there's some math peculiarities that it hasn't figured out, like mm -hmm. factorials, for instance, it isn't able to do for some reason, but it's getting a lot better and it's already better than the average intelligent student yeah who would be tested yeah this is this is going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds and especially with the upcoming talk with the talk of the upcoming gpt4 you know if you have the same user interface with gpt4 instead of gpt3 as the underlying model yeah. i mean the again it gpt4 is like a lot of speculation right now but they're figuring it's going to have over 500 times more parameters wow. and generally size size of the model really matters in terms of accuracy and what it can do and it's not unreasonable to think that it'll be you know a linear improvement in performance with the number of parameters assuming the the number of or the amount of data that it's trained on is you know similar or bigger which i imagine it'll be it'll be a lot more um so yeah this definitely seems like the first foray into gpt4 mm -hmm. after gpt3 and i will say a lot of the people that i follow who are typically really cynical about these kind of inventions are finally like wow this is damn good like this is mind-blowing yeah. how good this is and it's not perfect and there's definitely the risk of people thinking it's perfect and you already have the scenario of when we were growing up as kids, we could basically fact check our parents with Google. So they could say, oh, such and such, you know, did such and such on this date. And we could look up and see if that's actually true or not. And that was fundamentally different than when our parents were growing up. They had to just take it as a matter of faith that what their teacher or, or parent said was actually the truth. Yep. Uh, but now, like for the next generation, like for our kids, they're going to grow up in an environment where it's not only fact checking Google and asking like, what's your source, mm -hmm. but it's literally creating the answer to even the most complicated questions that our parents would have no idea how to even begin to answer. Yeah. And there's great power in that, mm -hmm. but there's also a great risk, which is 
if you offload so much of your cognitive decision-making to this AI, I do wonder if because it's not perfect and because it is a little bit of a black box, if it could make, make people dumber in a way, because it's like they get, they get so used to using it as a crutch that they Mm -hmm. forget how to think from first principles. And so I could see a total binary where on one side of the spectrum, people are able to create the most incredible companies all on their own without hiring any developers or like really just phenomenal innovations. But then on the other side, it's like, you know, just kind of like brain dead kids who just don't know how anything works because they just offload all of their decision making to chat GPT or whatever the newest version is. Yeah, that that is definitely a, a concern. And and another thing to sort of note is sometimes these models can, they will just hallucinate responses in a way. You know, like they they can come up with responses that don't really have a basis in reality because it is black boxy and they're just kind of putting pieces together without really understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So well, and Paul yeah. Graham had a good point about that, which is the most successful path to AI development thus far has been this method of imitation where it's predictive text. So you'll put in whatever text or code Mm -hmm. and then the chat GPT model predicts what the next text will be. And so it really is a a simulacrum of intelligence where you're predicting what, uh, what all of the information you've absorbed in encyclopedias and, you know, top novels and nonfiction books and whatever else they fed into this thing, mm-hmm. it's predicting what would likely to be said after the prompt, but it doesn't necessarily know what's going on. And so it is a derivative of the human knowledge we've created up until now. And yep. I will say another risk is that it really is just synthesizing the mainstream internet's understanding of various topics. Yep. So for instance, it doesn't think there's risks for the vaccine. And it's pretty clear, like, there are risks for the vaccine, like the costs probably outweigh the benefits from what we know now. Mm-hmm. But because that's not a mainstream Google accepted standpoint, it'll still say, like, there's basically no danger to mRNA vaccines. So it'll give you, like, the statist response. Yeah. So you have to keep that uh, in mind. And I think yep. it's also because it was created by Sam Altman and, um, you know, he's he's kind of a shit coiner, right? Like he created orb <laughs> coin, like world coin where you scan everyone's eyeballs to create that. Oh, like I that was, he was the creator of that. He is the creator of that. And okay. a lot of people don't know also open AI was co-founded by Sam Altman and Elon Musk, but then Elon left it because he was worried about the direction it was going and, <laughs> you know, about basically helping to create this super intelligent AI that might go haywire. And so my own personal feeling is I don't, I think Sam Altman is fantastically impressive as a technologist and I am amazed at what he's created, but I don't think he's morally uh, as aligned with humanity as I would like him to be. Yeah. Um, I think Elon is more aligned than he is personally. Uh, yeah. And Elon's not perfect. There's a lot of things I disagree with Elon on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a risk of if you are creating this super intelligent AI that has the statist opinion of very, of like the most important topics, Mm -hmm. then it's just a little worrisome, right? Like what if this really takes off and like anyone that's not using this tech gets left behind and then it becomes like the sole source of truth. Like there's definitely some, some risks there. 
Yep, for sure. Well, anyways, we'll get more into that with the future scenarios, but now let's get into the walled gardens discussion. I would say that just at a general overview, big tech has changed in the last several years. So I would say from the era of the 2008 Great Recession until 2020, all of big tech, all of the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft as well, they were all in growth by any means necessary mode. They were expanding. They were creating new products. They were expanding around the globe. Everyone was getting more and more smartphones day after day. And so they really were innovating and they were growing. But then in 2020, everything changed. COVID hit and not only did that, you know, basically put the whole economy, world economy into a lockdown, it also created divisions between different parts of the world. So you saw some divisions happening between the US and, and China and between Russia and the US and even between the EU and the US. And you kind of start to see these continents fracturing of how they each had their own response to COVID. And then we also pumped $13 trillion of newly created money out of thin air into the world supply of dollars. And that created all of this inflation. And so any country that was downstream of inflation and wasn't close to the money printers basically got really far left behind. Um, and so now we're basically in this mode of the big tech companies can't expand much further. We've already hit peak globalization. There aren't anyone who can afford an iPhone and wants one already has one. Yep. There's not that much room for Apple or Google to expand. And in fact, we're actually probably um, becoming more separated. We're deglobalizing, right? There's, it's, mm -hmm. there's less likely to be more iPhones built in China, and we're more likely to bring that back domestically. The world seems to be fracturing even more. And so the game has changed. And big tech companies like Apple and Google are no longer focused on growth and innovation. They're focused on blocking the exits to their walled gardens and milking their cash cows for as long as they can milk them. Mm -hmm. And so this is just a fundamentally different environment. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, you could ask, what does this mean for the big tech companies? Well, it means they're just gonna focus on being profitable and, and milking the profits of products they have. But for customers, it means you're probably not going to have as much freedom to use whatever app you like. There's going to be more lock-ins where they'll try to keep you in the Apple ecosystem or keep mm -hmm. you in the Google ecosystem. And there's probably going to be more surveillance. Um, you know, we just saw that Apple removed the ability to airdrop photos in China because protesters were using that functionality to send images and videos that were not allowed by the Great Chinese Firewall. So you're already seeing big tech companies co uh, collaborate with the state to suppress certain information. Um, and then we're also seeing the same thing. There's battles between uh, Twitter and Apple about the Apple 30% fee. And it feels like we're on this precipice where up until now, the internet has been very closed in. Like you can only have a successful app if the app is on one of the major app stores, Apple or Google. And you can only yep. get on the Apple or Google App Store if you give them 30% of all your income, which is ridiculous. That is and a wild you tax. <laughs> obey their censorship rules. Like you censor the people they want you to censor, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the and and it's not just like if somebody buys the app that costs ten dollars, Apple gets thirty percent of it. They get thirty percent of all in-app purchases, all <laughs> all revenue that's generated through an app that was purchased in the store, and that's that's a huge huge tax on anyone that wants to try to start something like yeah that's, yeah i think elon oh, said it, it's literally a hundred x too high yeah or, or sorry um 10x too high yeah but yeah i mean 30 percent. like real realistically it should be like three percent or two percent which is what credit card fees are mm-hmm. it should not be a third of every company's income goes to <laughs> apple or google i mean that's insane how is any company supposed to compete with apple and google mm-hmm. When they're getting thirty percent of all the other software companies' revenue, yep. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, let's yeah. let's get into some of the battles of the walled gardens, as I call them. All right, let's do it. So, the first battle is between Fortnite and Apple, and this occurred on twenty twenty, or sorry, in August twenty twenty. Epic Games, which is the developer of Fortnite created a direct payment option which bypassed Apple's 30% fee. So now you could subscribe to Fortnite without going through Apple. And as an end user, you actually paid less. So they gave you a discount for going directly through Fortnite rather than paying through the Apple App Store. So that's objectively good for users, good for Fortnite. Only person who it's not good for is Apple. And Apple countered by suing Fortnite for violating their payment guidelines. Then Fortnite filed a counter lawsuit against Apple and it's still in the courts. So they're, they're still going through, um, you know, various suing back and forth judges decisions. So that is still TBD. Mm -hmm. Another recent battle is between Apple and Coinbase. And this is occurred just on December 1st, 2022. And Coinbase sent out a tweet saying, You might have noticed you can't send NFTs on Coinbase Wallet iOS anymore. This is because Apple blocked our last app release until we disabled the feature. Apple's claim is that the gas fees required to send NFTs need to be paid through their in-app purchase system so they can collect their 30% of the gas fee. So Coinbase, Coinbase Wallet, which is supposed to be their decentralized app, is supposed to be this groundbreaking way that anyone can send assets peer-to-peer. You can send cryptocurrencies peer-to-peer. You can send NFTs peer-to-peer. And the whole idea of this peer-to-peer decentralized ecosystem is that you are disintermediating any any middlemen that are trying to take a cut or trying to surveil you. And it's absolutely r- ridiculous that people pretend like Coinbase Wallet and NFTs are decentralized when actually it's not decentralized. You're still being cut off by Apple and Google. And so until you can truly disintermediate the app stores and allow to be able to just download whatever app you want on your smartphone, Mm -hmm. there's no path for a a truly decentralized web. We're going to have to take this step to opening up the app stores, allowing people to use their own best judgment of what apps they want to download and cut out these middlemen and i should say i am not i'm not a supporter of nfts or coinbase or mm-hmm. all cryptocurrencies other than bitcoin but it, it is just it's kind of ridiculous that apple is trying to take the gas yeah. fees from coinbase i mean come on it's they're not getting enough from all the other 
various avenues that they get revenue. Yeah, it it almost it's getting to the point where it doesn't make sense to even have apps for some of these companies. If you know, if stuff like that is truly enforced and web is the only solution, you know, if you just have a website, then there's nothing except for, you know, credit card fees that you have to pay as a as a payment processor. But then you at least get around these these app stores. Um, I saw Jack Dorsey tweet that we need a web-based OS for, for mobile, um, for mobile phones. And that, you know, that's one potential solution. Like instead of going to apps, you kind of have a, just a website that's really optimized for this mobile web OS, you know, it's there, it's hard to, to think about how that would work out though, because people love their iPhones, you know, people love that hardware and, and Apple makes great hardware. And it is great. And I use an iPhone, I use a MacBook, but you know, the one thing that might crack people out of their shell is if Twitter was banned and if Elon Musk created an alternative smartphone to the iPhone. Mm-hmm. There's few people on this world that could legitimately offer an alternative to the iPhone and actually have users come in and ditch their iPhone for this new phone. And that's Elon Musk. And so mm-hmm. this is the battle that's currently ongoing, the, the most important battle of the walled garden, in, in my opinion. Yep. And this all started on November 28th. Elon Musk tweeted, Apple has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why. And it became clear later that the two reasons why Apple had threatened to ban Twitter, one was Apple wanted Twitter to have to pay the 30% fee because now that Twitter is opening up verification just for $8 a month subscription, they're getting a lot more subscription revenue than they used to get. So now it's much more relevant of how much are they actually paying to Apple. And before it was basically a free app, so that it wasn't really an issue. But that's one reason is that Apple wanted to make sure Elon was going to pay the 30% of every subscription to Apple. And then the other reason, which is even more nefarious, I would say, is that Apple wanted more censorship. They were worried that that Twitter Mm. wasn't censoring enough of the dangerous free speech that was going on and threatening our democracy. Right. And and, um, anyways, um, so here's the most recent tweet from Elon that I thought was a good meme. So he said, he created this meme that says, pay 30%. And then to the right, it says, go to war. And you can see Elon in the car skidding, going to <laughs> war. So basically he is prepared to go to war with Apple over this 30% fee. And then just a few days ago, Liz Wheeler said, if Apple and Google boot Twitter from their app stores, Elon Musk should produce his own smartphone. Half the country would happily ditch their biased snooping iPhone and Android. And then Elon said, I certainly hope it does not come to that. But yes, if there is no other choice, I will make an alternative phone. So this is pretty big stuff. I mean, even if he doesn't create a new smartphone, the threat of there being another option that is not Apple, is not Google, and is not beholden to these walled garden 30% fees, that Mm -hmm. is hugely attractive, I think, to a lot of users. And even now you have things like Graphene OS, where you can get a, a jailbroken Google phone, Google Pixel, and then put Graphene OS on it. And then 
You don't have to worry about surveillance. You don't have to worry about them not allowing you to download certain apps. Mm -hmm. um, so there's already some solutions, but I think the one thing that's been missing is an all-in-one package, open source smartphone that doesn't try to surveil you or snoop on you. Um, yep. Or, or prevent certain transactions you can make. Yeah. And it seems like it's doable. You know, the they're, most iPhones have been pretty similar for the past like yeah. 10 years. Well, not 10 years, but like five years, a lot of them have pretty much been the same. The cameras have been getting good. Um, but it seems like there is definitely room for disruption in this space. And, you know, you, you have to wonder, like, what's their revenue model? Like, how is this phone going to make money in an ongoing manner outside of just, like, the purchase price of the phone? But, like, 30, like, you don't need 30%. And I don't know, do you think Apple's ever going to, like, sway from that? Or that's just, like, forever, Apple's going to have that 30% app store tax? <laughs> Well, I have a, a, several different scenarios, so maybe okay. we should talk about them and the future scenarios. But okay. I do think that the innovation in the next 10 years is not going to be marginal improvements to the iPhone of like, oh, the iPhone 15 and now the 16 and the mm -hmm. camera is slightly better and the storage is slightly better. That's not where innovation is going to come from. The yeah. iPhone 20 is probably going to be very similar to the iPhone 14, except it'll have CBDCs and government <laughs> surveillance and all the things you don't want for convenience and safety. Mm -hmm. The real innovation in the next 10 years is going to come from rebuilding the core elements of the smartphone on an open source version of the smartphone. Mm. And we already have things like seed signer, which is a totally open source Bitcoin signing device where you can find your own parts from wherever you want your own, uh, you know, microchips and casing and processors and cameras and whatever else. And you can put it all together, download the open source software and have a smartphone. And you're totally robust because you can replace any one part. There's no lock-in, there's no walled garden. And I think that's where innovation is going to be in the next 10 years. And it really resembles what's going on in the world. We're not globalizing or you know, growing really anymore, we are basically moving from peak centralization to peak decentralization. Mm -hmm. And in order to protect yourself, and to be as secure as possible for your own privacy, but also just for security, like for not getting hacked. I mean, we just looked at what GPT can do to find exploits in closed yep. source software, the safest type of software is open source, because it's constantly being tested, People are constantly iterating on it, making improvements upon it. And so I think it is it is really one of the most important things anyone can do is each day, just think, how can I slightly start to switch from these walled garden ecosystems to a more robust open source ecosystem? Yep. Yeah, and the, the main thing is just getting, like the hardware is the hardest part of this whole problem. And if, if, there's, if there's a good manufacturing process for developing these open source phones, then, I mean, awesome. Or it's maybe going to turn into a scenario where maybe we're, I don't want to get too far into the future scenarios, but 
maybe maybe what we think of today as an iPhone or, or just a, a cell phone in general is is not what is going to be used most often in like probably more like 20, 20 to 50 years. Maybe it's more of an augmented reality thing where we're just controlling this thing with our minds. Right, so. right. Well, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's the direction Apple and Google are definitely going. They are planning out this future where some people even think that by the iPhone 16 or 17, we might have a situation where you basically just have an Apple watch and then Apple glasses, which also have sound capability. So you would no longer need a phone. And the nice thing about that is that you could be totally mobile going about, you don't have to constantly be looking at your phone in the way that you do now. Yeah. But the downside of that is that it's also a lot more invasive, like to constantly yeah. have something, you know, augmented reality layered over your normal vision. Yeah. Personally, I can't see myself doing that for more than like an hour a day max. Yeah. So I would actually prefer a smartphone than to have some brain implant or to constantly Agreed. have a wash and glasses on. Mm -hmm. Um, so if that's like the furthest extent of what could be great about it, like in my opinion, it's just not that impressive. What's more impressive to me is to really be the master of your own domain. And one person even said, imagine if you had a smartphone that acted as a full Bitcoin node and it also could mine Bitcoin whenever it was plugged in charging and you could transact freely in a way that's not intermediated by anyone else. It could be a lightning node. So you could have like a lot of power in this one device that is really about sovereignty rather than just like end user convenience mm -hmm. um, while the big tech companies take a cut, which is the case today. Yeah. I don't know if, um, so this was like almost 10 years ago at this point, but there was an open source or it was, it was a Kickstarter that was um, for a phone called phone blocks where there was this base phone or this like the base hardware, but little hardware chips you could add to it, sort of like little Lego pieces on the back of the phone that wow. would serve different purposes. Some might be higher powered, some might be whatever, but it was this open interface. So anybody could design these little blocks that could be wow. added to the phone. And I, I really liked that concept. It never took off, but I wonder if, it might be time to rekindle something like that where people can, you know, create their own, they might even be able to create their own hardware, like, like a, a little tink, a tinkerer in their garage might be able to, you know, develop their own pieces of hardware for their phone, as long as they know the protocol to, you know, interface with the, the core of the phone. Totally. Yeah. I also think 3d printing could play a big role in this too, where, you could have people 3D printing their own components and then selling them in their own shop. And that would be a way to really decentralize the manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And obviously some parts are gonna have more centralized choke points than others if they contain rare earth minerals and mm -hmm. it's hard to produce those except for a few regions in the world. So right. it's not gonna be totally decentralized manufacturing immediately, yep. but we could at least start to manufacture you know the casing in a totally decentralized way and mm -hmm. and uh, so i think we can start to take steps and yeah so really i don't think people should think of this as like oh i need to immediately 
ditch my iPhone, ditch all my Google products and become, uh, uh, you know, become one of these mountain men that's like totally <laughs> worried about like the NSA, like, you know, yeah. tracking us at every move. But I think it is good to each day, if there is an easy way for you to move a little bit towards privacy and away from walled garden surveillance and control, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So maybe now we can get into the future scenarios. All right, let's do it. Awesome. Let's start with the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Okay. So I think with the worst case, it's, it's honestly not too different from what's happening. You know, it's, it's along the same lines of Apple continue Apple and Google taking 30% of every transaction, but also having the ability to enforce that in, you know, in legal battles and making sure there's fewer workarounds like, like Fortnite was trying to do and like being able to, to win those legal battles is, would be just i don't know it, it's a it's a real hit on freedom for companies to innovate on their platform and i think it's just a that tax is just too much mm -hmm. um but you could also extrapolate this into the like you i mean if we think about how virtual reality and some of these these other big marketplaces are going to you know pan out we could see something like the innovative online industries of ready player one that can take yeah. a cut of every possible transaction that happens in a world that a lot of people spend their time in i don't personally see myself spending time in virtual reality but i do see if it's good enough i see a large chunk of the world's population spending a huge chunk of their waking hours in virtual reality and to the point where the currency in that virtual world is just as important as the currency in this, you know, in our real world. And if there's a company that say meta, for example, that has actually, <laughs> that creates this, this first more realistic, metaverse then they're going to be able to take a cut of everything and that's depending on how big it is you know if it's just a couple percent then fine but if we're talking apple's 30 percent, and if apple and google normalize this 30 percent for all transactions that's that just seems like a huge hindrance on any kind of innovation in this space so yeah yeah totally there's definitely a risk of lock-in in the digital realm and if you spend a lot of time in the digital realm then the power of lock-in is a lot greater mm -hmm. i think there's a equally a risk of lock-in in the physical realm and in fact the two areas kind of both work hand in hand of the digital mm -hmm. realm lock-in and the physical realm lock-in so my worst case scenario is that america walled gardens basically becomes the same degree as China's walled gardens mm. and China has the greatest walled garden of all, which is known as the great Chinese firewall. And recently something big happened, which is that while the world cup was being shown on TVs all around China and around the world, 
people for the first time in China realized that not everyone else had to wear masks and was being herded around like cattle, having to be six meters apart and mm -hmm. you know jabbed and tested at every moment. All of a sudden, they saw all of these fans in other countries freely, without any mask, just having a good time, drinking in the open air, watching the World Cup. And this is what sparked the protests that are going on right now in China, because their walled gardens had been so successful at blocking out any information outside of China that the CCP didn't want the people to see, that they had no clue that the rest of the world had moved on from COVID and is no <laughs> longer in this state of total emergency and, and totalitarian medical control. Um, and so that, I think, is a great future scenario of what could happen if the current walled gardens in America reach their logical conclusion. And to me, the biggest risks is actually not Meta, it's Apple and Google. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because Apple and Google control the devices. However, I will say Meta has the Meta Quest, which is the VR device. So right. if everyone starts to use that as their main device and VR and AR really take off, then I, I agree, I think Meta is the threat. But because most people today use iPhone and Google phone, those are like the devices is the greatest lever for control because you can do things at the root system level yeah. that are not possible if you're just some app like Facebook app or Instagram app or Twitter app. Yep. So yeah, that's my worst case scenario is that one of the big tech companies like Apple or Google basically becomes the new WeChat for America mm -hmm. and therefore becomes one and the same with the state and the state and the big tech work together to suppress information they don't like. And by the way, we just had the Twitter files came out yesterday with Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk mm -hmm. that showed that the government did regularly send problematic tweets to Twitter and then Twitter would respond handled <laughs> and they would just ban those accounts. No question, just handled. <laughs> yeah. So it, clearly there's already a level of collusion between the government and the big tech companies to maintain the narrative that they would like to maintain. Mm -hmm. But there's enough big tech counterparties that it's not fully consolidated. Like you have Elon releasing the Twitter files and talking about creating a new phone that doesn't have these 30% app store walled gardens embedded in them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my main worst case scenario. My other one, which I don't think is that likely, but I'll bring it up just because I've it's interesting and I've heard a lot of other people talk about it, mm -hmm. is the evil Elon scenario where mm -hmm. Elon creates the everything app. So imagine Elon creates a new smartphone that is better than the iPhone because it has Twitter, it doesn't have these restrictions, whatever. So everyone gets to this new smartphone that Elon creates. And then he truly does create the everything app, which he has said he wants to do, meaning he integrates social media, which is Twitter. He's got great hardware, which, you know, through Tesla, he's got great internet through Starlink. He has payments mm -hmm. through his experience at PayPal okay. to basically allow for un unmitigated payments between parties. And this could start off as a very good thing. And people are like, wow, he's created this new great phone that's way better than the iPhone. But if eventually through Neuralink and embedding microchips in people's brains and then 
if he eventually becomes corrupt or if his company gets co-opted by the state or even if he does a great job through his life but one day dies and then his successor takes over the company and then the successor is corrupted or colludes with the state yeah any of those scenarios could be very bad for humanity and so that's why my personal approach is never to put a lot of never to put too much faith in any one hero like do not hero worship and also don't become too reliant on any one party or company mm-hmm. so even if elon does create the phenomenal best iphone alternative out there i might i might you know get that phone but i'm not going to necessarily use all of their software or apps or everything else it is always good to have different entities that are competing against one another so you never get total lock-in where one just dominates the entire marketplace yeah definitely kind of reminds me of our first uh one of our first conversations just don't don't become too reliant on third parties (laughs) yeah exactly even if it's the person you think is the greatest in the world like the steve jobs the elon musk Mm -hmm. the jack dorsey you never know when someone could turn and their colors could change or they could be pressured or something Mm -hmm. could happen a great example is jordan b peterson who i had always considered one of the voices of reason and a a great intellectual and recently he has come out against anyone who's pseudonymous or anonymous online meaning he thinks every person should have to use their real world identity when they're tweeting or posting on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Hmm. And to me, that was just totally counter to everything he stood for previously. This is a guy who's supposed to be for free speech. Yeah. And now he is against anyone writing under a pseudonym, which by the way, America's founding fathers, many of them wrote under pseudonyms. They didn't use their real names. Mm-hmm. And so it that felt dangerous. Exactly. You could have journalists in authoritarian countries that the only way they can get out the information without being killed is to write under a pseudonym. So anyone that's arguing that you have to use your real taxable world identity just to be able to speak freely online, Mm -hmm. to me, that's just not someone who understands the battle that's going on uh, for freedom and free speech. and, And so... In the same way that I don't think anyone should hero worship Jordan B. Peterson, I don't think anyone should hero worship Elon Musk or anyone else. And really, it's about open source technology that is not reliant on any one person or one software provider or hardware provider or nation state. Yep. And if if we can sort of decentralize and open source, you know, if we're not reliant on a single organization to write all of our code, and instead we can rely on people from around the world that have their incentives aligned with a good working product, then that's the, that's why open source is so great. It's because people that use the product write the software for the product. And, exactly. Yeah. So it's the, yeah, it's the wisdom of the crowd and there's no, there's no hidden incentives. It's, yep. uh, it's all out in the open. Yep. All right, now let's get into the best case scenario. Best case scenario. So the the best case for me is is like with so 
let me restart this. So with walled gardens, I don't think there's necessarily something that's inherently bad with having like, a like if you treat it like a community in a sense, like if you think of a walled garden as a community, that's a little bit exclusive, like, cool. But there needs to be a way for anybody to create just like as high quality of a walled garden or community as any other organization. And I, I think if there's a way to do that, in the best case, there is a way to do that where you have individuals or groups of individuals that band together and just create these online communities where there is a little bit of exclusivity, but you get a lot of benefits being involved with a specific community. And there needs to be there needs to be a, a good way for people to enter these communities and and leave communities and not feel, you know, super tied to um, whatever's going on. So I'd, I would say in the best case, it's just a matter of instead of having a few big players, there's a lot of small players and there's the ability to create these communities and these you know, the, the, the walled gardens that are, yeah, there's, there's equal opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's kind of my best case is that instead of big players, let's just, we need small players. We, cause there, there are benefits to having these sorts of things. And when people are really aligned on the goals of a specific mission, then that's when really awesome things happen. So kind of similar to a lot of a lot of things i would much rather there be smaller players with the ability to compete with the big players but if if the big players are too monopolistic and there's really no way to compete with them then that's a problem so in the best case that isn't a problem (laughs) yeah you know people are able to i think that's spot on and it's the same way i think about you know, freedom in America, it's not equal, it's not equal outcome. Like not every company is going to do as well as every other company. Some will be Mm -hmm. more talented, some will be more industrious, some will be more lucky, but it's equal opportunity. It's the ability for any company to be the next Apple or to be the next Google or to be the next Twitter. Mm -hmm. And currently that's not the case. How can any company compete when 30% of every other company's income is going to the company that already has the most money of any company in the world, which mm-hmm. is Apple and Google's not so far behind. Yep. And so it is very hard for people or new entrants to break out of that paradigm. And so ideally we would allow a more natural growth. Mm-hmm. And I think a walled garden is really the best metaphor because it's a garden, it's natural. There are mm-hmm. forces of nature involved. But it's also walled, meaning it has parameters. It's not anything goes. And to your point, I don't think walled gardens are necessarily bad. Like you could argue Bitcoin is a walled garden because it's natural. Mm -hmm. It has all of this open source, decentralized nodes and miners and and users and developers Mm -hmm. all interacting one with one another. But it also has the walls of certain protocol rules that Mm -hmm. cannot be broken. So it has the 21 million hard cap. It has the difficulty adjustment. It has a new block every 10 minutes. And it is important to have some structure. And really all of human civilization is one giant walled garden. 
we yeah. have nature is our, our fundamental, you know, that's what's going on on the inside. But we also have all of these boundaries and constraints through social conventions and then also through actual physical walls between nation states and other barriers. So my best case scenario is that we allow the natural side of the walled gardens to flourish in balance with the walls. And I think the biggest part of that is if Apple and Google could, of their own volition, reduce their app store fee from 30% to 3%. That would be a great outcome because that would allow the Apple and Google ecosystem to continue to be a great option for people Mm -hmm. without totally dominating. And then simultaneously, it would be, I think it would be great if Elon came out with his own phone. So now people have another option. And then I think it would be great if other developers came out with their own phone. And so you had a truly open source seed signer, graphene OS style, open source Mm -hmm. phone alternative. And really, it's just the more options people have, the better. And the more we can go towards open source software and hardware, that is the path out. And I am actually very optimistic that this is close to the likely path because Hmm. as the years go along, people are going to realize the need for privacy and the need for security more than they ever did before. Yep. I agree. I think that's that's a good one. Do you want to get into the uh, likely scenario? Yeah, let's do the likely scenario. Most likely scenario. I can start and then you'll finish off. Um, so I think with the likely scenario, the so the third specifically in with the discussion of Apple and Google, I think it'll be a while before they reduce their (laughs) those fees. Um, But it, it, I do think there's going to be as, as there, as time passes and as people sort of get fed up with the lack of like real innovation in the hardware, there's, there's going to be a new phone at some point. Like if it would be kind of depressing, honestly, if we have an iPhone 20, that's pretty much the same as the iPhone seven with some, my, I mean, yes, the hardware is going to increase a little bit. The battery life is going to improve a little bit, but marginal improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think there will be a phone. There will be a competitor, whether that's Elon Musk or not. I'm not sure, but there's there will be something. And and again, kind of like I was mentioning earlier, I think that what we use as phones today is not going to be this. It's not going to look like the phones we use 20 years from now. And we it's going to be maybe more in an augmented sense where we have glasses where we just kind of control things and tell it what to do either through quick movements of our hands or through some sort of eye movements or, or something else. Like there, the interface I think will fundamentally change and it's unclear whether that, that new hardware is going to be from a Google or an Apple. I think they're probably in the best position to create a new device like that, which will then, you know, continue their walled garden status. <laughs> but um, there, there will be competitors. And I think with, with all of these 
um, these innovations coming out with augmented reality that's inevitable. My main concern in the likely case is that these new technologies are going to be so capital intensive, it'll require huge investments to create something that people want to use. So that makes it more likely that someone like Elon Musk comes out with, you know, a, a phone competitor, an iPhone competitor. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds. But I do think the the walled gardens are going to look fundamentally different as we move it more into the, the AR and VR worlds. Even though I still kind of want a flip phone, yeah. I'm probably still going to get a... <laughs> probably gonna get a uh, well when i when i think about what type of iphone 20 i would want in my wildest dreams it's not any kind of ar glasses yeah or any kind of thing like chip embedded in my brain or even a watch for some reason i just i can't stand wearing watches Uh but what i would like is like in the movie her with joaquin Mm -hmm. phoenix where Uh he just has airpods in or you know he has earbuds in and then he can ask his AI assistant to do whatever he wants to do. So he mm-hmm. says in the movie, hey, will you look through all of the essays and papers I've ever written, find the very best ones, and submit it to this magazine for their contest or whatever. And it does it in seconds, which would take humans countless hours to do all that work. And by the way, this is what's already possible with chat GPT. So I could imagine a future where I'm walking around and I'm like, hey, I have an idea for this business. I'm going to start a new think tank with Justin and we want to predict the future with all these different scenarios. Um, You know, find some find some office space for us. Get us some meetings with people who might be interested, you know, create a business plan. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's find some some different revenue stream ideas. And whatever your business idea is, you could basically have this assistant to help you create it. And so that would be like the optimal outcome of all this tech, in my opinion. Yeah. But the, the really risky side is not if everyone's using their own AI that empowers them, but if it's more like one AI that empowers the state at the expense of everyone's individual liberties. Mm-hmm. And that's the scenario we have to be really wary of because that's like what China already is with their great Chinese firewall. But my, my most yeah. likely scenario is fairly optimistic. I think what's likely to happen is Apple and Google will fight tooth and nail to keep their 30% fee. <laughs> and they may even end up getting co-opted by the state, but there will be alternatives. People will have the choice of whether to use the CBDC enabled iPhone 10 mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever it is, 15. Yep. Or they'll have the option of using a more open source device. And over time, the people that use the open source private solutions will see their wealth increase and they'll see their freedom increase and their quality of life increase. And people who use the CBDC spyware walled garden, big tech devices, We'll see their wealth decrease, their freedoms decrease, their stress increase. And over time, people will switch to the better solution. And as long as the free market is able to do its thing, and as long as free people are able to freely talk to one another and tell them what's working in their life and what's not working, I have no doubt that we will move towards the direction of more freedom, 
more open source software and hardware. We're going to bust down the walled gardens. And eventually we will create new gardens Mm -hmm. from the rubble and we'll create new, more centralized entities from all of these empowered sovereign individuals. But that's more like the year 2050. I think from now until 2030, it's going to get more and more decentralized. The walled gardens will break down and it'll be better for everyone. Everyone will have more freedom to do what they want and the free market can provide more prosperity for all of us and our, our kids. I always appreciate the optimistic likely scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I felt a shift in the force recently. Uh, I think especially since Elon took over Twitter, the whole game has changed and I feel more optimistic now than I felt in years. That's awesome. I agree. We're going to talk awesome. about Well, I think that's a good place to end it. What Thank you all for tuning in. And, and we'll see you next time. Happen. The past, the present, and the future.